Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Verse 5, he said, let your gentleness be known to all. Keep your relationships with people outward. Keep that right. And the experience will be that the worry inward will be calmed. I will give you a divine, supernatural peace that will have a calming effect on you. Now, this is the essence of faith. It is bowing to the Savior, seeing that the cure for worry is faithful and trusting prayer. We all worry, don't we? That's probably why God tells us so often in the Bible not to worry. Today, Pastor Jim will teach us that worry may actually open the door to a deeper intimacy with God. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of Philippians chapter 4 with his message entitled, Joyful Worry. He says, verse 3, I urge you also, true companion, help these women. Now, when there's problems with people, what's our tendency? I'm out of here. No way. Nope. He says, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. At one point in time, they were fighting for the gospel together. Now what happens? You get a little comfortable. You start fighting with each other. They were fighting together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. What is that? Those are the people that are going to heaven. So what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, there's problems in life. There's problems with people. Here's one of the big keys. Don't get absorbed with yourself. You have a lot of worry. Things are not going well with your life. What do you need to do? Don't go into bunker mentality. Don't get absorbed with yourself. Did you know that when you get absorbed with yourself, that is the fertile soil of worry. If you like your worry and you want it to really grow big, right? Then just think about yourself all the time, right? And you will have a jungle of worry, right? And here he's saying, no, no, this is how we get out of it. And I think he sort of gives us a little bit of a formula here. I'm not much into the formulas, but I think you might appreciate this formula. It goes like this. Number one, love people. Number two, expect problems when you love people. Number three, love people. (laughs) You're like, I don't like that formula, all right? But that's kind of what it is. That love people, Right? Jesus loves people, right? Does he expect problems with the people he loves? Absolutely. Does he get them? Oh, yes, right? Okay? But then he continues to love people. In other words, the Apostle Paul teaching us that when problems come, don't put your personal interests first. Don't stop living out your faith, or you could end up a casualty of the faith if you're not careful. Well, you say, how in the world do I stay at it with myself and with my faith and with people in the midst of such worry that I have in my life? I'm so glad you asked. Verse four. Verse four, I said, I believe was the hardest verse in the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. You're kidding. (laughs) I just picture them reading this to the congregation in Philippi. And when he goes, rejoice in the Lord always, And having somebody go to their husband and wife, what did he just say? (laughs) And the apostle goes, again, I will say rejoice. (laughs) In case you missed it, rejoice. Now, 
again, let's notice the same thing as standing. We are to stand what? Stand fast in the Lord. Here he says, rejoice in the Lord. What do we rejoice in the Lord? We rejoice in the Lord and who he is. He is the sovereign creator. He has a plan. He knows what he's doing. So even when maybe things are not going great for us, we can still rejoice in him. This is an appeal to faith. He's saying, remember the Lord. Remember that the creator is your father. And remember that he's in control. Remember, Romans 8, 28, most Christians know it. Remember we said that's one of those verses that sounds great coming out of your mouth, doesn't sound so good going into your ears, that God is working together all things together for good, right? For those who love him are calling according to his purposes. People tell you that, you're like, shut up, right? But reminding us that God is working all things together for good, but I like to think of it this way, that God is working for you. That God is at work in your life. And this is a deep faith he's calling us to. And that's what we are here at Calvary Chapel. That is our goal. My goal is not to have a billion people that are an inch deep. Our goal is to have as many people as God would bring us, but have everybody a mile deep in their faith, a faith that goes beyond circumstances into the depth of God's love and God's sovereignty and that the fact that God is gonna pull it all together in the end, even though it looks terrible right now for some of us. Verse five, he says, let your gentleness, remember, these are people who are anxious, let your gentleness, that word is sometimes translated big-heartedness. The idea is be loving when you're treated poorly. Does that sound like anybody we know? Maybe Jesus on the cross. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, scholars want to debate, does that mean that he's near to us or does that mean he's coming soon, the second coming? When I hit those debates, I just go, yes. Why does it have to be either or? And so here he's saying the Lord is near. The Lord is present. You and I are not alone in this thing. And because of that, we can aggressively love even when we're treated poorly, even when people don't even respond to the way that we have loved them. And then verse six, he lowers the boom on worrying. Be anxious for nothing. And I don't know about you, but I want a little wiggle room in that verse. (laughs) I'm like, nothing? A little bit? No, nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. This is where it gets really absurd. With thanksgiving. (laughs) So I'm thankful that I'm anxious. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, we talked about this when we were in this verse. We said this. Remember like Shark Tank? Take the deal. God's offering you the deal of the century. Take the deal. Make the trade. Trade your anxiety and worry for prayer. Trade it. Just say, you know what? Here it is, God. I'm going to give it to you. He says, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What does that tell us? It's supernatural and it's divine, will guard, and we said it's like a Roman garrison guarding your heart and your mind, which is full of what? Worry through Christ Jesus. Again, divine power. So the possibility of worry, of anxiety, of fear being eliminated or at least controllable 
he tells us is only possible because of prayer. He says, pray with thanksgiving. What does that mean? It means with a grateful heart to your father who loves you. This is very interesting what he's telling us here. He's saying, keep your relationship with God up to heaven, the upward, keep that right. Verse five, he said, let your gentleness be known to all. Keep your relationships with people outward, keep that right. And the experience will be that the worry inward will be calmed. I will give you a divine, supernatural peace that will have a calming effect on you. Now this is the essence of faith. It is bowing to the Savior, seeing that the cure for worry is faithful and trusting prayer. It is not in a confidence in my ability to fix everything, but it is a confidence in his ability to bring a quietness to my soul. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your care, some versions say anxieties, upon him, for he cares for you. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, cast some of your care. He doesn't say, pick the top five. He doesn't say, pick the three godliest things you could possibly be burdened about. (laughs) No, he says, cast all your care. You know, sometimes I think we think we're this huge bother to God. Like he must just be so just disgusted with us. You know? Like, oh, I just can't tell him again. Bible comes along and Jesus says, well, you have not because you ask not. Keep coming to me, cast your cares upon me. And as we do this, now this is what's important, friends. This is not a one-time thing. This is not like I went to church and it didn't work. Sometimes that happens with people here. You know, 30 years of dysfunction. They come to one sermon, right? It didn't work for me. (laughs) No, no, this is a continual lifestyle of coming to God every day of your life, constantly casting your cares and your burdens upon him. And the Lord promises, if you and I do that, the exact opposite of worry will happen. His peace will come to us in the storms of life. So really, what he's telling us is the statement that seems to be absolutely absurd is actually calling upon the divine power of heaven. He says, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. And if you remember when we were in this section, we noted this, there is absolutely no mention of our prayers being answered. None. It's like God says, I'm talking about two different things. You're coming to me to have a prayer answered, and I'm saying come to me, and I may or may not answer the prayer the way you want, but I'll still give you the peace. I'll still enable you to live without having your prayers answered. And I don't know about you, but that makes a lot of sense to me because I spent a lot of my life when I was growing up praying for this, that, and the other thing, and I got nothing. And I was like, well, God couldn't possibly exist because, you know, I want a vending machine God, E7, pretty girlfriend, nice car, right? That's what I wanted when I was young, you know? But I didn't get those things. So I thought he couldn't possibly be real, but that's not the promises that God makes. God says, you bring your anxieties to me. You bring your cares to me. You bring your requests to me. You bring your worries to me. And what I promise is I'm gonna give you peace. 
I may not answer it the way you want it, but I'm gonna give you peace. And as we pray this way, we will begin to see that joy will start to replace worry. That love will start to replace fear as we begin to experience the supernatural peace of God. Verse eight, he says, finally, brethren. When a preacher says finally, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing, right? Okay, so he says finally. Brethren, talking to Christians, whatever things are true. Now, these are the whatevers of the Bible. So when your teenage kid says to you, whatever, you go, great, you want to talk about the Bible. All right, these are the whatevers of the Bible, but it's not whatever. He says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So can you think of a book that might help you with that? And as we begin to see the things that God has said he would do in his word take place, we see the changes in people, changes in ourselves, we're meditating, we're thinking about these things, we're praising the Lord, we're not worrying so much. We realize who God is, what he has promised, what he has not promised, Verse nine, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Remember we said he's not bragging. It was the power of example. They didn't have the New Testament the way that we did, although the power of example is still very big. He said, these do and the God of peace will be with you. Now I have lived, and some of you, this will make a lot more sense by the time I finish this story. I have lived my entire life about 40, 45 minutes either side of New York City. Some of you are like, that explains a lot. And I started my business on the Brooklyn, Queens border. So I started saying things like, use guys, and let's go to Woik. <laughs> I know enough about New York City. I drove a truck in New York City for eight years. That's why I hate to go there. Whenever people come from out of town, they're like, so tell me about the Empire State Building and the Statue of Liberty. I'm like, we only go there when tourists come. <laughs> so I'll say, you're going into the city, and I always go, watch your wallet. And they go, I know, I heard it's very expensive there. I said, no, there's a lot of pickpockets. (laughs) Now, you know why I know there's a lot of pickpockets? Because I am one. Now, some of you are moving your wallets right now. Some of you are thinking, you are one? No, it should have been you used to be one. No, I am one. It kind of goes like this. When I'm worried about something, I give my problems to the Lord. And as soon as he turns his back for one second, I pick it right out of his pocket and put it back in mine. I am a worry stealer, right? I steal worry and anxiety and all the things that just fog my brain all of the time. I give them to the Lord, I steal them back. I, I can tell by looking at some of you, a few of you struggle with that problem as well. And see, so much of worry is a battle of the mind. And worry, what does it do to mind? Worry makes our mind run like a thoroughbred racehorse, doesn't it? I mean, my goodness, our ability, computers are just not this fast. Our ability to go from worrying about something to all the scenarios it could be. I mean, it's just like, before you know it, you've gone from, I'm worried about this little thing over here, and the next thing I know, I'm burning in hell and nobody loves me. I mean, it's just really. (laughs) I mean, it happens so fast. So the apostle is teaching us a very important biblical concept here. It's the concept of putting off and putting on. What is he saying? Put off worry, put on prayer. Put off 
worry put on prayer. And that starts with something that some theologians call the discipline of refusal. This is so important to understand this. The discipline of refusal. What does that mean? It means I am not going to give in to every anxious thought that comes into my head. I am not going to give a lot of time to every worrisome thought that comes my way. Instead of letting it run crazy in my brain, I'm going to do my best each and every time to give it right to the Lord. And I'm not going to try and pick his pocket for it. It means I'm going to fight off worry. And I'm going to do what? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to just say, I can't worry, I can't worry, I can't worry. I'm going to say, okay, I'm worried. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your promises. Please help me to do what I need to do, but don't let worry become the way my life is run. So our prayers must be accompanied by a change in the way we think. And the word of God must influence our thinking. But this is such an important point. You can only be influenced by what you know. You can't be influenced by the word of God if you don't know it. And it's so important to read our Bibles. Don't worry about what you don't understand. Worry about what you do. Be concerned about what you do. Come to church more regularly. Have Christian friends who, are, who you're discussing these things with them. So you're getting into the word of God. You're getting the word of God into you. Because notice what you're positioning yourself for. He says here, not just the peace of God, but the God of peace will actually be with you. In verse five, he said he was near. In verse seven, it said he'll guard around your heart to keep you from your worry and anxiety. And verse nine, he says, he'll actually come into the city of your worry-filled heart and be with you. But here's the important thing to realize. Notice it's a process. A lot of people say, well, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. You're all wrong, Pastor Jim. A Christian says that God is always inside of a Christian. But your experience of him inside of you is not always the same unless you position yourself. And I position myself to realize that experience. God's everywhere, right? So we're like, God's here. He's walking around the church. That's awesome. Now, don't call me if you're here. But if you're here at four o'clock in the morning, okay, would you expect God to be here? Well, God's everywhere. So is he here? Some of you are like, trick question. Exactly. Okay. This is what we call manifest presence. While God would be here at four o'clock in the morning, his presence is manifest when his people come together and they worship him. Just like the presence of God in our hearts, when we position ourselves for prayer and for worship and obedience, we position ourselves to experience God in us, even though he's already in us, we are experiencing his manifest presence. We're experiencing his love, his grace, his forgiveness, because we've positioned ourselves to receive it. If, if, you are a Christian if you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you are not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you go to church a lot, 
but you're not a Christian, I want to tell you. You have to realize that the promises of the God of peace that being with you and the peace of God being with you is only for God's children. You see, the God of peace is also the God of salvation. And the God of salvation wipes away our sin by the cross of his son. But he's also the God of power. When Jesus was dead, God raised him from the dead. And therefore, having victory over death, he's also the God of victory. And to think that God could raise his son from the dead, ascend him into heaven, and not be able to deal with our personal worry problems is kind of silly, isn't it? It's kind of silly. But you won't experience that peace of God until you have peace with him. As we've said many times, the Bible is an odd book. And the Bible actually says that if you're not a Christian, that you're actually an enemy of God. You're actually not at peace with God. Now, most of us would say, I'm fine with him. I, you know, Jesus is cool, whatever, right? But the Bible seems to indicate that if you don't love him, then you hate him. If you don't worship him, you ignore him. And in a sense, as an enemy of God or not a friend of God, when you die, the Bible says that you will incur the judgment of God. But God in his great love saw that problem with all of us. None of us are any different. And God in his great love sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God himself became a man. And he walked this earth. And he lived a perfect life in every aspect of this book. Not what they tell you on the television, what this book says, but what this book really says. When Jesus would experience some anxiety, he would go in prayer like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. Jesus lived everything in this book to perfection in your place for you and I so we wouldn't have to. And then he went to the cross and took the punishment for our sins in our place so we wouldn't have to. And to prove that God the Father was satisfied with Jesus' life and Jesus' death on the cross, he raised him from the dead and he ascended him into heaven. And God makes this offer to anyone and says to you, you need to make a decision. I will credit my son's perfect life to you and I will credit the punishment for your sins to him if you will simply turn to me and acknowledge that you're far from me and you've lived with your back to me and instead of trusting in yourselves, you will put your trust in me. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you think, oh, Christians are just a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. Well, we are a bunch of hypocrites, I'll give you that. But anyone who doesn't love you hasn't really truly experienced the love of the Savior. I know who I was and I know who I am. And so all I have to offer you is the offer of Jesus Christ to come. That anyone, the Bible says, Jesus says, anyone who will come to me, I will by no means cast out you will make a decision about Jesus. You will either give your life to him or you will leave not having given your life to him. 
It cost Jesus his life to buy heaven for you. And it's going to cost you something too. And one of those things you have to realize is that when you belong to Jesus, you don't belong to yourself anymore. And do you know how good he is? That includes your worry. Your worry is not yours anymore. Your worry belongs to him. You've been listening to Changed by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our hope and prayer is that all of our listeners would grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. And we're overjoyed to play whatever role we can in helping you mature in your faith. Would you like to know more about us? Maybe you'd like to pass this message on to a friend or family member. If so, go to our website at www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you have a question or need some guidance. We don't want to replace your pastor, but we are here to help. It's so easy to contact us. All you have to do is call, click, or write. Our phone number is 973-659-3380. That's 973-659-3380. Our email address is info at changedbyloveradio.com. And our mailing address is changedbylove, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You may be surprised to know how excited Pastor Jim and the Changed by Love radio team are to hear from you. In fact, it's common for Pastor Jim to pass on your encouragement to the congregation here in New Jersey, since we consider all our listeners part of our family. That's all the time we have for today. Our sincere hope and desire is that you will join us again next time on this radio station as we continue teaching the Word of the Lord. We here at Change by Love pray God's best to each and every one of you today. Until next time.